Welcome back to Hello Haze. I'm your host, Alexandra Hayes Robinson. Each week on our show, I choose a theme and I answer a few letters from people looking for advice in that area. Today's episode, friendship breakups. What leads to them, how we process them, and if we can prevent them from happening. Here's the lineup. Letter one, ghosted. We've got two roommates and best friends. One is going through a breakup with her boyfriend and asks the other for advice. She gets it, but later learns that that friend was talking behind her back and saying something completely different to other friends. Letter two, the convenient friend. One person graduates college while the other stays behind and their communication shifts dramatically. We decide if this calls for a friendship breakup or something else. And letter three, learning and lurking. A story that starts with two best friends and creative partners and ends with a clean breakup due to an ongoing mental health crisis. As a result, accusations on social media. If you haven't followed the pod or subscribed to this channel yet, quick reminder to do it now. That's how you become a true hazelnut. Stay with me. Before we hear our letters today, I think it would be helpful to set some grounding beliefs about what friendship breakups are. And then we can use these beliefs as our North Star to guide us through this conversation today. The first is a shared definition of what a friendship breakup is. A friendship breakup is when something happens that causes the relationship to end. It could be one thing that you couldn't move past or a culmination of behaviors that just build and build until you explode. A friendship breakup could be your choice, it could be their choice, or it could be a mutual understanding. It could be something you didn't want to do but had to for your mental health and well-being. I think a friendship breakup can also be defined by a feeling. It's when you mourn the loss of someone in your soul. I loved that language. I polled my audience on TikTok and Instagram to tell me what a friendship breakup means to them, and that was the language that one person used and it really stuck with me. Um, there's nuance to that though. Part of me does want to just say that if it feels like a friendship breakup, it is. But then I pause because I realize when reading letters, when reading your letters and when reflecting on my own life and speaking with friends, that sometimes when we feel something, the feeling is real, but the what we think the feeling means isn't always real. We don't always have the tools or the language to like differentiate all of our different feelings or accurately describe them. And we sometimes don't have the, uh, we don't have the experience or perspective to process change in our lives. I think that's what it is. When we don't have the experience or perspective or help to process change that's happening, uh, sometimes we misinterpret our feelings. And you know, even when we do have experience, <laughs> it's still fucking hard because change is really, really hard. Uh, which leads many people, myself included, in so many situations to yell friendship breakup or betrayal or some other like really extreme result. It, yell it causes us to yell that when the situation doesn't actually call for it. Um, we jump to the worst, most definitive conclusion because sometimes it's easier for our minds to wrap around something extreme than for us to process the more nuanced, complicated, human, explanation. Sometimes something that feels like a friendship breakup is actually a friendship shift. And look, friendship shifts can be just as painful and real and worthy of our grief and communication, but they might not warrant a breakup. Why do I think it's important to differentiate here? It's not to invalidate our feelings, but it's actually to empower them. When you understand all of the nuances of your feelings and the situations that you're in that cause them to be stirred, you're actually able to trust your gut more because you have the experience of thinking critically. Doing this work, having these conversations with each other right now, having them with your friends and your loved ones, with your therapist, having these conversations together helps us all zoom out, notice new things, get smarter about our feelings, 
And then when we zoom back to Earth, we can trust ourselves more because of all of the new things that we saw and learned. So that was the first grounding belief, getting clear on what a friendship breakup is. So naturally next, what isn't a friendship breakup? It's harder to give a clear sentence definition for that. You know, it's sort of like those math equations. Um, I'm gonna reveal that I'm terrible at math, but I don't remember what it's actually called, but it's like friendship breakups. I think that friendship breakups always equal an event or a series of events that cause distance, but distance does not always equal a friendship breakup. I think that you can drift from someone and it's not necessarily a friendship breakup. Sometimes in some situations, actually, distance is what preserves a friendship and allows it to exist, um, though in a different way. I don't think a friendship breakup is when you don't talk as much anymore or when you've grown apart in some way. I don't think that's a friendship breakup. It could become one depending on what steps you take, but in and of itself, it's not a friendship breakup. Another grounding belief in our conversation today is that friendship breakups can be as real and intense and devastating and destabilizing as a romantic breakup. There are key differences though, um, and there's one that I've been noodling on, there's one difference that I've been noodling on that really intrigues me, and that's that friendship breakups are not as natural as romantic breakups. Stay with me. There's a certain drama to a friendship breakup perhaps a misunderstanding that maybe isn't as present um, in a monogamous romantic relationship breakup because unless you get married or choose to be life partners with someone in a, in a monogamous romantic relationship, breaking up is like a natural result of it. Unless you're going to stay together forever, you break up. <laughs> relationships, Romantic relationships end in breakups or they just keep going forever. If you want another partner, another romantic partner, you have to get rid of the one you have, at least ideally, if you're not cheating. Or of course, you could be in a polyamorous or an open relationship um, and have that conversation with your partner and see if it's something that you want to do together. But generally speaking, like romantic relationships end or they continue. Friendships, however, never have to end because you don't have to choose only one friend for the rest of your life. You can always add more friends. Uh, like a friendship can be made in fifth grade. And if you two are okay with your friendship ebbing and flowing over the long course of your life, you could have a lifelong, beautiful, rich friendship. And in that way, I think that an end to a friendship isn't as natural as an end to a romantic relationship. And that's what part, that's part of what makes it this like underbelly of society that we don't talk about. We don't talk about friendship breakups and we don't give them the dignity they deserve because they're like not really something that should quotes, should happen. We all know that it does happen, but since it's not as natural as a romantic breakup or as a death, uh, we don't discuss it, which leads us to harbor a great deal of shame and loneliness and depression when it does happen to us because no one else is fucking talking about it. So let's talk about it together. Time for the letters. Hello, Hayes. I think I'm going through a friendship breakup right now, or rather we're ghosting, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. The friend in question is one of my closest friends from college, and we've been friends for almost a decade. We lived together for a few years up until this summer when she moved to a new city. About a year ago, before her move, I broke up with my boyfriend because of continual communication issues. He suggested couples therapy with the goal of learning how to communicate better and getting back together. I went to my friend for advice on whether I should give it a try, and she was supportive and encouraging. I walked away from our conversation feeling positive about couples therapy, which did end up being helpful for my relationship. Two months before her big move to the new city, I found out through a mutual friend that she was talking behind my back, saying couples therapy was a horrible idea and my relationship was a huge red flag. I was hurt to find out that the advice she gave me and what she was saying to other people were so different. Mostly it hurt that she wasn't rooting for me. 
Even though it sucked, I chose to let it go because I wanted to stay positive for the remainder of our time living together in the same apartment and city. Once she moved, we continued talking, texting, sending memes and TikTok videos, but I did start thinking about the comments she made behind my back again. I tried to let it go and brush it off, but I just couldn't. A couple months ago, she visited home for the first time since she moved, and we made plans for the two of us to get dinner. I realized that there were life updates I didn't feel comfortable sharing because I had lost trust in her. I knew I needed to address what happened and how it was making me feel, and I figured it'd be best to talk about it in person during the dinner we planned. The day of our dinner, she asked if another person could join us. I said I'd prefer to keep it just us because I wanted to talk about something she said behind my back. I know nobody likes to hear we need to talk, but I didn't want to be dishonest. She responded saying I should have brought it up sooner and that it was unfair of me to fight with her during her trip. She demanded that I tell her everything over text, and I maintained that I wanted to talk about it in person. I said she's an important friend to me and I didn't want to fight. She never responded. She did remove me from Find My Friends, and she may have even blocked me, which is a gut punch. It's now been seven weeks. I'm upset by my friend's lack of empathy and accountability, and I've lost my remaining trust and a lot of respect for her. Not having a resolution has been awful. I keep wondering, did I handle this wrong? What could I have done differently? Did that really just happen? How can we move forward from this if we're even still friends? How would you handle this situation, Hayes? What would you do from here? Yours, ghosted. Mm. Oh, love, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. <sighs> Finding out that you're being talked about is such a sobering feeling. It's fucking awful, and we're not, that's not supposed to happen. Like, it's terrible. It's a terrible experience when you don't know or care about the people who are talking about you, but it's really a different kind of heartbreak when it's someone that you trust or someone you thought you could trust. And that's not supposed to happen. You're in such an alienating position right now because you've, you don't know where you stand in friendship breakup territory. And that's confusing. So this story to me has three parts to help us get through that. Um, it's what happened in the past. It's what happened in the present, which is now with this dinner and the, the lack of response. And it's about the future, which is about learning from the situation and uh, figuring out where we go from here. So let's talk about the past. Your friend broke your trust, and it sounds like that experience brought you a lot of shame. It's an incredibly destabilizing experience to find out that a person who was there for you in need, like, wasn't actually there for you in need, or they were there to your face, but behind your back, they were saying something completely different. Um, and it's also fucked up to know that the person who was giving you counsel, that you trust to give you counsel, was giving, was like going back on her counsel to someone else. That's really confusing. And I imagine that you say that couple therapy has been good for you, but I imagine at the time that not only sent you, I can imagine how that would not only make you doubt your friendship, but it could make you doubt the other decisions you're making about your boyfriend. And that must have been really confusing and lonely and scary. I think that this situation is definitely a fair cause for a friendship breakup, uh, especially if your friend refuses to talk to you about it. But generally speaking, I don't think that friendship breakup has to be the inevitable end in a similar situation. Meaning, if you find out your friend has said something about you, depending on what it is, I don't think it has to end in friendship breakup. And I'm really proud of you for being brave and attempting to bring it up because that, that's the way out of that, right? If you find out that, you're, that someone 
you love and is close to you is talking shit about your relationship. It's hard. It's going to be hard to just get over that on your own. That does require, I think it requires a conversation. Uh, and I'm proud of you for trying and bringing that up. Uh, especially since we know that you're a person who sometimes just sits on their feelings for the sake of keeping the peace. Cough, cough. Two months went by without you saying anything. My love, that must have been so hard. That must have been so hard to continue living with this person. Knowing what she said about you to somebody else. That must have been really hard. And I, uh, I don't know where in the timeline this is of healing with your boyfriend. Um, it sounds like you guys are still together. Can't be sure. But like home is the place where we're supposed to feel centered and safe. And two months is a long time to be living with someone, to be living with a secret like that. Um, why did you do that, you think? I know to keep the peace and you wanted everything to be happy before she moved, but I just, I think it would be helpful for you as you move on in your, as we, as we move through this conversation and in your life to say, you know, what did it feel like for me when I kept those feelings to myself for that long? How did it affect the way that I feel about myself and my re relationship with my boyfriend? How did it make me feel about my relationship with my friend? Would I do it again? That's a big one here. Would you keep it to yourself again? Did brushing it off for the sake of preserving the friendship in the last couple of months together, did that work? Brushing it off is totally sometimes the right move. So I don't want us to cross that off altogether. Um, but by thinking about this situation, like the emotional intensity of it, the sense of betrayal you felt, uh, the closeness of your friendship, um, by asking yourself this question, would I do it again? You might learn, okay, this type of feeling when my best friend, somebody I share a home with, has done something that makes me feel X. When this type of feeling happens, I address it right away, no matter what, even if it's inconvenient, right? You didn't bring it up because it wasn't convenient. She's moving soon. Maybe you can learn from this, that this is the type of thing you address no matter what. Um, I'm also curious, thinking about the past, when you went to this friend for advice, what were you looking for? If a friend came to me asking for advice about their boyfriend who had communication issues, um, the boyfriend wants to try couples therapy, I wonder what I'd say. Excuse me. I've definitely had friends come to me before with problems in their relationship. And it's a hard balance. Um, it's a hard balance when giving advice. First of all, don't give advice unless you're asked for it. And even when someone asks for advice, I like to follow up with... Well, what, what, kind of, what kind of support is helpful for you right now? Like, are you looking for validation? Are you looking for um, hope and optimism? Are you looking for tough love? What are you looking for? I think that can also be helpful when framing your own advice to someone. And of course, we don't want to validate someone's, you know, dangerous or manipulative or self-destructive behavior, but there are still things, other things you can validate. Because every person is worthy of validation in some area, even if a specific choice of theirs is not. Um, but back to you, when you asked her for advice, what were you looking for? Sorry, I didn't finish my thought. So if, if a friend came to me saying, should I try couples therapy with my boyfriend who sucks at communication and it's been an ongoing problem? It'd be hard for me to say. It's hard to know what I'd say, but I know that I would try not to be reactive. 
because I think good advice, good advice is not reactive. Which is why it's hard to sometimes get advice from somebody who's emotionally involved in the situation. Uh, that's why having a therapist is so great because they're not emotionally involved in your life. They can give you counsel and help guide you to come to your own decisions without really having stakes in whatever happens. Uh, your friend is your roommate. Let me just scroll up on my notes. Your friend is your roommate was probably somewhat emotionally involved in this relationship. And if you haven't noticed yet, what I'm doing right now is helping you think back to the past with some more context about perhaps why this all unfolded the way it did. So your friend is your roommate was emotionally involved in this situation, right? She saw your boyfriend. She saw the communication issues. She may have seen the way it's impacted you. So she might have her own feelings about your relationship. Like being roommates with someone and watching them be in a relationship that isn't working is a challenging experience in and of itself. It's challenging for, for the, it, it can be challenging to watch somebody you know be hurt. It can be challenging to watch someone you love make what you think are mistakes. And as a friend, it can be challenging to know, well, do I, do I say that I don't like him or do I be supportive here? And I don't know how your friend really felt about the situation. Um, we're, even though your other friend mentioned she said something, like we're still hearing about it through hearsay. We don't know how she really feels. But it sounds like in the moment for you, your friend put whatever her feelings were aside and was supportive for you in a way that worked. If you never found out that she said something about you, her support for you worked. She encouraged you to try couples therapy and couples therapy worked. She made you feel seen and validated in the conversation. You said that you felt really good about it. Uh, she was there for you in the moment. It's interesting because if she said something different to someone else, it sounds like, you know, the most generous way to look at it is she was not reactive. She didn't give reactive advice. She gave the advice that she thought maybe you needed to hear. And that did end up working for you. And she saved her reactive, emotional, petty answer for someone else, which sometimes is a good thing to do. Imagine she had said to you, I think it's a red flag and I think couples therapy is a bad idea. That could have been a, that could have been a, a fair conversation, but what would that, ask, try to imagine what that conversation would have been like. Would you have listened? Would you have gone to couples therapy? If you had, if she had said that, don't go. I don't think you should do this and you didn't take her advice. Or any, I mean, and you did take her advice and you didn't, get, didn't go back with your boyfriend, you didn't get back together. How do you think that would make you feel now? Ultimately, none of this takes away from the fact that she said something hurtful. Calling him, calling your relationship a red flag, that's hurtful. And it's hurtful that you heard about it. It doesn't make it okay that she said it and it doesn't make it okay that you heard about it. Um, you are still valid in not trusting her and maybe not wanting to be friends. Everything you're feeling is fair. And I think going through that thought exercise can maybe help you understand why it happened. Um, but to just talk about that other friend for a moment that told you what your roommate said. I'm always curious about people who like relay gossip. And I don't know if this is, counts as gossip. Um, I'm always curious about people who relay negative information back to the person who was being talked about. Like, did she need to do that? What was her intention there? Is this person a shit stirrer? Is she? 
I, I, this is probably a debate and I don't want to have this debate with myself in open air. I would, this is, I don't actually know exactly where I stand on this. Um, but I, I don't think people need to hear every single critical word that's said about them. I just don't. I have the, uh, awareness that people in my life probably say things about me to each other that maybe I wouldn't like to hear all the time. We would probably have no fucking good relationships if we were forced to hear every single thing that someone else said about us. Can we all just be aware enough to admit that? People should be discerning in who they share what they're saying to. Your friend probably should have never said this to another friend, but if she has, if she was supportive to you, but has her own mishigas tied up in your relationship. Maybe she should have talked about how she thinks the boyfriend is never going to get better. Maybe she should have said it to someone who isn't in your friend group. But what the fuck? Sometimes we shouldn't hear what's said about us because sometimes like the critical thing that someone said isn't their true, it's not their true feelings. It's something that was said in a moment of frustration, a moment of weakness, a moment of annoyance. Um, I don't know. All of this is important. All, we could we could be here guessing forever what your friend meant when she said that to the other friend. And that's why it's important to address this directly, which leads us to talk about now, the present. So in the present moment, again, kudos to you. I think you were spot on in wanting to address this in person. Uh, we could debate whether you should have done the we need to talk about something you said thing. We could debate whether you should have texted that. On one end, it was honest. Like it was the honest answer for why you wanted a one-on-one -on -one dinner, but maybe the more effective method, if what your hope was, was to actually get her there, maybe the more effective answer would have just been to white lie and say, I want to spend some one-on-one -on -one time together. I don't want this random person to come. I want to just have the two of us time. And if she pestered you on why, then say something. I don't really know what the right answer is. I'm sort of surprised that if you haven't seen her in a while, she would want to invite somebody else in general. But that's probably, that's an aside. Whether or not you should have told her or texted her that is sort of beside the point. The fact that she got defensive, made it about her and her visit, and then completely bailed when you said what you said, that's like, that's emotionally immature on her part. Uh... And she's doubled down on that immaturity by blocking you. Which makes me want to give her less benefit of the doubt when thinking back to the past and why she said the things she did because of her reaction now. But if the jet were, what if we're if in the spirit of being generous, this person clearly doesn't have very good coping skills for how to deal with their own emotions. So I hope that if you see yourself in the friend we're talking about, I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening and seeing how your behavior can be perceived from another perspective. Uh, she, all evidence points to her not being very mature and not knowing how to deal with conflict very well. And I'm really sorry, again, that she didn't give your conversation a chance. Um, Because without the conversation, this might 
This sounds like a friendship breakup to me. And a painful friendship breakup because it's similar to like, if we were imagining that you two were partners, right? Or you're in a romantic relationship. It's like one person brings up a problem and then the other person doesn't even want to discuss it and just stops responding. Like just, just bails it, bows out of the conversation and is done. Um, or there's one argument and it results in a breakup without ever trying to work on it. And those types of breakups are really, really painful because they just happen. They just happen and there's no time to address it or work through it. And ultimately, if you guys don't talk, it sounds like this is a friendship breakup. So let's, let's say that together. Uh, you're going through a friendship breakup. The chain of events here to lead to it is like betrayal. When she said something about you and your relationship behind your back. Secrecy, which is when you were keeping the secret that you knew. Confrontation, which is when you said you wanted to talk about it. And then disappearing. She's disappeared for seven weeks. Does that qualify as ghosting? In this situation, I think, I think it can qualify as ghosting. And it certainly can qualify as a friendship breakup. And you ask me, what, what do I do from here? Well, my love, if someone bows out of a confrontation, refuses to talk to you about the thing you want to talk about, that you need to talk about in order to move on, then there is nothing else you can do as it relates to her. There's a lot you can do on your own and how to move forward, but there's nothing else we can do about her. I don't know what she's going through or what she's, why she's unable to respond to you. Um, I also don't know if you've done something to contribute to her kind of harsh, clear-cut reaction. Um, but this is the situation that we're in. So how can we find some control here? How can we gently usher you into your healing era? So... Without further ado, welcome to the future. <laughs> welcome to the future. And the future of any breakup is about healing. How do we move forward from a friendship breakup? How do we begin that healing process? And first, we have to call it that. You're going through a breakup. There was a clear problem with the person you loved, a, um, a one-sided attempt to fix the problem, and then a ghosting or an inability to fix the problem, which has resulted in no contact. That is a fucking breakup, okay? We have to give it the same dignity that we would a romantic breakup. If you had an argument with your boyfriend, said you wanted to talk about something, and then he just never responded to you, and I, I'm catching myself. I don't want to use gender, but I'm using boyfriend because you are a person with a boyfriend, but note, note to self is take gender out of it. Um, we have to give our friendship breakups the same dignity, and that starts with using language because language helps. Do you feel the relief? Do you feel the relief? I am going through a friendship breakup. That's why I feel so awful. <sighs> relief. The next thing we have to do is focus on what we can control. Focusing on what we can control is the next step of healing. And you know what we cannot control? The outcome of this relationship. And it's really hard to relinquish control in a relationship. Um, when a relationship is good, it feels like one of the things in life that we do have control over. But you have to relinquish control here. You have to. And this is something I struggle with a lot in my own life, or maybe not struggle with, but it is a regular thing that I come up against, wanting to control, trying to control things I can't, and regularly recalibrating myself to remember what can I control. Um, I've had some really, I had a tough, overwhelming week last week, and a lot of it resulted, a lot of it was stemming from me wanting to control something that I can't. 
And I got a lot of really good love from people in my life. And I'm going to, uh, they reminded me of this. So I want to remind it. Um, I want to remind you of it too. So what can you control? You can control the way that you give energy into other relationships. You can control spending more time with people you love. I can control calling my friend Natalie who lives down the street and asking if she wants to go for a walk with me. I can't control whether she's going to come, but I can control asking her and then I can control doing it myself, which leads me, and the doing it myself part is key because another thing you can control is how you spend your own time. When I'm experiencing something destabilizing, when I feel like I'm out of control, I find it really helpful to hunker down in any routine, anything completely unrelated to the problem. Excuse me. I'm experimenting with a new routine where I wake up at 6.45. God help me, I'm becoming a morning person. Um, I think I am a morning person, which is sort of horrifying to me, but alas. I wake up at 6.45 now and I work on a project that I otherwise will not have time for unless I do that. I'm getting up early. I set my alarm. I stumble downstairs and make some coffee. It's done by 7 and I'm working on this thing before the day has begun by, you know, 7.15. <laughs> Brian's listening. He's going to be like, why the fuck does it take you 30 minutes to get started? Because <sighs> I'm relaxing, okay? I'm a slow mover. That's something I have control over. And you know what's amazing? <laughs> the thing I'm working on in the morning has nothing to do with the problem that has felt out of control for me. But exerting just a little bit of control in my life, reminding myself that I have agency, I have power, it makes the stuff that is out of control feel so much more bearable. So what's something that you can have control over? Is it, um, why is my brain not coming up with anything good right now? Is it, let's see, I think it has to be routine related. Is it making sure that you eat your lunch away from your desk? Maybe it's getting up early. I mean, I'm really, I'm really hot on the getting up early thing right now. And I hope that doesn't feel toxic. Like you need to get up early to do all this stuff. If getting up early doesn't feel good for you. And I, and I sleep in when I need to. I want to be really fucking clear here. I am not promoting getting up at 5 a.m. and working out and God no. But if waking up earlier than your day starts to do something that matters to you, if that's a way that you can feel more in control, join me in becoming a morning person. Um, and the last way that you can give yourself, you can remind yourself of your control is to give yourself a resolution. You say that not having a resolution is awful and I, I hear you. I hear you. You deserve a resolution um, and we can give ourselves resolutions. We do that together. Sometimes a resolution is not a clear cut answer and maybe that's something that we can um, like reframe together. I think when we think about a resolution, it's like we want someone to hand us a piece of paper with an answer. We're not friends anymore. Everything's going to be okay. Things are not going to work out here. We want someone to, that's what we want in a resolution. <laughs> we don't want to go through the hard stuff of figuring it out, but I think that resolutions the answers we are looking for, the things we want, it's found through the work and it's found through the process. Um, I think answers are kind of a moot point. Answers are kind of a moot point. We don't need them. We don't need them.
I basically, what I'm trying to say is that you don't need a resolution from her because we're going to give you the resolution. Um, and that's something you can, you can control. Give yourself a motherfucking resolution. I don't think you need to do anything differently than what you're doing right now. Um, process the resolution that we've come to. This breakup has already happened. It ended in a confusing way, in an ambiguous way, but it happened. It happened. Sometimes people are meant to get back together. You know this from your own romantic relationship. But first you have to heal on your own, you know? It's not your, it's not really a worthy use of your time right now to decide like whether you're going to get back together with this friend because, because you can't have a conversation and you don't need to beg someone to talk to you. Still, I'll never say never. There's definitely a world where your friendship could survive something like this. I think there's a world where a friendship can survive learning you've been talked about. I think it can survive a period of seven weeks where they're not responding to you. I think relationships can survive a whole lot of things. We have to believe that, right? We have to believe that our relationships can survive challenges. Um, I don't know if yours can or if it should, but I believe it's possible. It would take an uncomfortable, honest, loving, compassionate uh, conversation that it sounds like your friend is not willing to have right now. So we're just going to take that off the table. Um, I think like, what do I want to say to you? What do I want to say to you to end this? And it's that, you know, I'm sorry that you're going through this. You've been through hard times and you will get through this one too. Focus on what you can control. Focus on what you can control. I've been amazed this week at how much that has helped me in a different problem, but oh my God, it helps. Lean on the people who are showing up for you in the ways that feel good. Give yourself the closure that you deserve. I hope this gave some closure to you and to anybody listening who's dealing with a friendship breakup that feels ambiguous. It's going to be okay. All right, stick with me for the next letter. Hello, Hayes. My friends and I met in the beginning of 2023, and we were immediately besties. We had similar schedules and hung out every single day for at least a couple hours. We laughed together, cried together, went out together. We shared really private, personal details about ourselves. I truly thought of her as a North Star bestie. The problem came in May when I graduated, and she had another year left in her program. This was never a big deal to me. I lived fairly close to my college and was planning to fly back a few times and hang out with her. Plus, we always text regularly anyways. But things changed so quickly with us after my graduation. She started taking one or two months to respond to my texts, but when she did respond, it was just like how we used to be. The energy and love was all still there, so while I was hurt, I didn't think there was anything wrong between us. I ended up going back to visit my college in August to meet another close friend, and I happened to see her as we're all in the same circle. I thought of asking her if everything was okay, but once we started talking, things were just like how they used to be. I couldn't find the courage to speak up about how hurt I felt. She said that her internship was pretty time-consuming, so I figured she was just busy. However, once I left, things went right back to how they were over the summer, with her barely ever responding to me. I'm afraid of seeming needy or desperate by bringing up these issues with her, but I'd hate to keep watching our friendship die. Part of me wonders if she only wanted to hang out with me and be friends when it was convenient for her. Since we both had similar schedules and interests, hanging out with me would have been the easy choice. Maybe she never cared about me the way I care about her. It hurts to think that all the memories that we shared were the result of convenience, but I'm having a hard time letting her go. How would you approach the situation? Yours, the convenient choice.
Oi, 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 oi. Um, the first thing that I'm thinking about is how, is the word convenient. Uh, it has such a negative connotation in this letter and in life, I think. Like, con we convenience is praised and hailed as the best thing ever. Convenience is huge. We love convenience. But when a person is described as convenient, we don't like that so much. And that's kind of a shame because the reality is that most relationships are born out of convenience. If we're taking the term convenient and not looking at it as easy or not looking at it as easy, but looking at it as uh, nearby. The reality is it's easier to make friends that are nearby. It's easier to fall in love with somebody who is nearby. So one thing I want to just keep in mind as we talk about this situation is that convenient is not bad. Convenient is just a, it's neutral. It's neutral. You do make college and you make, you make friends in college because of convenience. They're there. You make friends with the people who are available to you. And then of course, there are a million other details and reasons why you choose people to be your friend. It's not just out of convenience, but convenience is part of it. If we look at the term convenience in terms of, um, of availability, am I describing that right? I don't know if I'm describing that right yet, but we're gonna, we're gonna dive into the letter and hopefully I clarify what I mean here. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't want you to think of convenient as a bad word. Rewind is reading your story one, you graduated so recently. Congratulations on graduating college. What a life change. What a life change. This is all still so new for you. And I know that when you graduate, um, I think this happens in life. You graduate college. You start a new job. We forget that we are new to whatever new thing we're doing. You're only, I mean, I'm, not, I'm counting my fingers, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. January. You are only nine months, nine months into your post-college life. You are a nine-month-old. You are an infant in the post-college living world. And I don't say that because I think you're young or juvenile, but give yourself and your relationships a break. You are adjusting to a totally new world. People do this with jobs. You start a new job and you're like six months in. You're like, why aren't I a master at this yet? Why don't I feel fully comfortable? Because it's new. It's new. Allow that to comfort you. Some of the shifts that you're describing are because this is new. The story you're describing to me with your friend, this isn't immediately to me a friendship breakup. And it's not a sign that your friendship is dying. I do think your friendship is shifting. But it definitely does not need to be an end. The way you feel about the way you're, you and your friend are communicating now, um, it's real and it's important and it's a sign that something isn't working. So we're going to figure it out together, how to move forward to preserve, um, to preserve your friendship, to welcome the friendship into this new like adult moment. <sighs> First, let's talk more about what you're feeling and try to understand more why this feels so intense. So the intimacy that you had in your friendship the friendship you described to me sounds really intimate and really special. And sometimes these one-on-one -on -one friendships like that can feel a whole lot like a romantic partnership. And I don't mean that in like a sexual way. I'm not suggesting that you have feelings for your friend. But friendship, 
friendship is about community. It's about feeling connected to someone. And college in particular is a time when our friendships do feel like the only lifeline, you know? Is that what I'm trying to say? Friendship in college feels so deeply personal, I think, because it's also the first time you're away from home. So perhaps when you're in high school and you're younger, your friends matter. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your partner matters, but your family is sort of rooting you in. You're rooted at home. And then you go to college and your friends become like family. They're the people you're most connected to. You rely on them. Like that relationship is sacred. And especially if you're two single people, you know, you're living around the corner from each other. You have the same schedule. It's like your partners. This friend to me sounds like you felt she was a partner in your life. And now that you're no longer on the same schedule, you no longer live in the same place, there's been a shift. And I recognize that that can feel like a breakup because one definition of a breakup is something has clearly shifted and something, one thing that was is now over. And that did happen actually. The thing that was, was this friend. If you're thinking about your schedule and the ways that you spent time together, that, that is over. That chapter did end. And that, I, I hear how that feels really sad and hard and scary. But the thing about friendship is that just because one season of the friendship is changing doesn't mean the friendship's over. Remember what we were talking about in the beginning of this episode. Friendship, unlike a romantic relationship, when you, if you stop seeing each other, you're broken up. Friendship doesn't have to be that way. So I... Today, I want to talk with you about figuring out for yourself, what would it look like for you to have a friendship with this person that still feels meaningful and supportive and fulfilling, but different? This is a conversation that you have with yourself and with me. And then I think it's a conversation you have with your friend, but I want to have the conversation together first. So the first thing we need to talk about is your inner bully. Mm, we all have a bully inside of our head. Part of becoming a confident, more self-aware person is identifying that those two voices exist, right? There's your, there's your true self, and I identify the true self as the one that is strong and confident and like the voice that isn't in crisis. You know, that's your true voice. The one that feels, the one, the one that speaks to you when you feel good the one that gives you hope and optimism and that tells you it's going to be okay. Sometimes our true voice can be gone for a long time and that's really scary. It's really fucking scary. And that's why we need help from others um, and sometimes medical professionals. But you have, to know, you have to know that these two voices exist. There's the true voice and then there's your inner critic. There's your inner bully. And your inner bully, your inner bully is deeply insecure, by the way. Um, and your inner bully is the one who's doing the, maybe I was the convenient friend thing. That's your bully talking. Maybe she never cared about me. Honey, you know, your true voice knows that that's true. I don't know why I just called you honey. That didn't feel natural. That didn't feel natural. Love, <laughs> love feels better for me. Love, you know this friend cared about you. Someone can't fake it. You're too smart. You know when people are faking it with you. You know the friendship you had while you were together was real. Don't allow the fact that you're not in school together anymore. Don't misinterpret what's happening here. This is just a distance problem. And it's a real problem. And we're going to figure out a way to communicate better with this friend. But don't, don't make 
don't allow distance. This is the distance thing. Don't allow distance to become a bigger existential statement about what was in the past. What was in the past was real and true and beautiful and let it be. Let it be. Don't let your feelings today change the narrative about what existed before. Just because things are changing now sure as hell does not mean that you were the convenient friend. It doesn't mean that you were an easy choice and that everything you shared was a lie. The truth is that friendships are nuanced, especially when you undergo such a major change, such as no longer living in the same place and getting a job or an internship. You're in a growing pain right now. And I don't want you to look at this so black and white, because if you look at friendships in such a black and white way throughout your life, I fear that you won't be very satisfied. Let's challenge the way this friendship could look. Um, as a thought exercise, I wonder if you first could think about what, what did this in-person friendship with this North Star bestie, what did that give you that you're currently lacking? Because maybe you can notice that, yes, you miss her and you miss the way you two used to be, but you also miss having someone to get a casual quick lunch with. Like you miss being able to text someone randomly being like, want to go get a bagel? See you in 10 minutes. Let's, because the truth is that you miss her, but you also miss some of the stuff you did with her. And I wonder if we can separate that because in separating it, we can start to find solutions and see how we can do those things with other people. Um, so that's number one. What, what did that friendship give you in the in-person sense that you're currently lacking in your new life, wherever you live now? The next question is, what can I still get from this person? What could intimacy look like with this person given the new set of standards? She's showing you that she's not a very good texter. I think we can talk to her about the texting, but we can't snap our fingers and make her a better texter. What might intimacy look like here? You mentioned that you went back to school to go visit someone else in August. What about texting her saying like, hey, I'm, I want to come out and visit you. What do these two weekends look like? Maybe texting as a form of keeping in touch won't be the way you stay intimately connected with this person, but there could be other ways. You want to be in conversation with yourself asking, where can I stretch in this relationship? Where can I be more open-minded? And then where can I not compromise? So texting. Texting is such a big one in long-distance friendships. Some people are texters. Some people aren't. Where can you personally stretch in terms of your expectations for texting? I don't know what type of text you were sending her that she was taking a month or two to respond to. I take a long time to respond to some texts. Some texts I just completely ignore, which a lot of people probably think is a major character flaw on my part. And I don't necessarily disagree. <laughs> my mom's probably like, uh-huh, uh-huh. From the perspective of somebody who struggles with texting, I get overwhelmed sometimes by the expectation of keeping up with people over text. I prefer, some, I would prefer someone to just call me and vice versa. I don't like having conversations over text, but that's my specific personality. You've never gotten to know your friend as a long distance friend. So you have to get to know this new personality and her you. It would probably be hard to be friends with me if you were someone who needs to be texting all of the time. For some people, I would try to stretch and I would try to be more available via text. But I couldn't, 
I could only, even, even for some people, I could only do that to a degree. So what are, what are the ways that you can stretch? And then where are the ways where you're like, I can't compromise on that. And someone taking one to two months to respond to a text saying, hey, I'm having a tough day. Can you give me a call? If any of my friends texted me that, I'd fucking text them back. <laughs> I'm not taking one to two months to respond to those texts. What's my point? What's my point here? I just think you got to think about what are you knowing what you know about your friends just from observation because we haven't talked to her yet. We're going to talk to her. What are some of the ways that you think you can come to this conversation being flexible? And then where will you not budge? Um, I think that doing this self-reflection work before you talk to her and asking yourself those questions, taking responsibility and control for what you can, I think it'll help you genuinely not be needy and desperate when you have the conversation. You said that's a fear of yours. And I think that's a fair fear. It's a fair fear. We all have, we all fear that when we're in need and we want to tell someone that we love we're in need. We fear that we're going to seem needy or desperate. And sometimes, sometimes our behavior is needy and desperate. Sometimes we do feel desperate. Sometimes we are needy. I'm certainly needy and desperate sometimes. <laughs> I know what triggers neediness and desperation in me, but if we want to be, I have to take responsibility though for when my neediness and desperation, I'm always part of that problem. Can some people do better things to support me and be in my life? Yeah. But if you if you approach this friend from a place of, you never respond to me, you, 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 without doing any of the work for yourself, you're more likely to come across as needy and desperate and potentially overwhelm this other friend. I should also say that we can't control the way other people perceive us. So we could even do this work together. You could do everything in your power to make sure that you don't seem needy or desperate. And she could still think you're needy and desperate. So take it with a grain of salt. We're doing this work for you, not for her. We're having these conversations and figuring this out so that you can feel confident. You can feel good about not being needy and desperate. We can't control how she perceives your, um, your discussion of this with her. We can't control how she feels about you. We can't control that, but we can control how you feel about the situation. So I do think a conversation will be helpful. If things seemed normal and loving when you were together, and if things seem normal and loving when she responds to your texts, I would take that at face value. She's not mad at you. She's not trying to ghost you. She's not trying to break up with you. We still have love for each other. I would take all of that as real. Still, something isn't working, but try not to overanalyze what this new behavior means. The only thing it means right now is that things, have, things are changing. You've graduated. She's still in school. Things are changing. Let's just take that at face value. I know you feel scared to bring it up. When you bring it up, I think the framing of how you bring it up and what the problem is, I think that that might be helpful when you mustering up that courage. I know you said, excuse me, you said that you, you didn't have the courage to bring it up. And I know that feeling like, oh, when you're talking with someone and you know you have something to say, but you're just too scared and it just kind of sits in the back of your brain and, uh, you're filled with remorse and regret when, when later you're like, I didn't say something then. Well, next time you're going to say something. And I think you'll feel more courageous knowing that it's not coming from a accusatory, angry place because it's not. You're not coming here accusing her of never liking you. 
Don't do that. It's coming from a place of saying, I had this, I've had this big change in my life. There's this big shift that's happening. And it's been hard adjusting. And you miss the time that you two spent together. Um, ask her if she's like, what, what the shift has felt like for her. And you can say, you know, when it takes you two months to respond to my texts, it makes me feel lonely. I never knew you were such a bad texter. <laughs> Obviously, some of this is like personality-based, but can you hear, can you hear in my voice the way that it's coming from like a centered, focused, it's about you and your feelings and you're not accusing her. You're being playful. You're being honest. You're being vulnerable. Tone. Framing matters so much when we're having conversations with people about changes that are happening and what our needs are. Um, it's not you don't respond to my texts and you're a bad friend. It's a conversation about the complicated feelings that arise in life instead of a confrontation. I don't want that to be interpreted that like confrontation is bad because confrontation isn't bad. But I, I think we could all use taking a beat before framing something as confronting someone when really what we're doing is having a conversation about feelings that involves two people. If we could just get a little bit more comfortable talking about feelings and hard stuff with the people that matter in our life, I'm convinced that we would have less need for something like a confrontation because talking about feelings, even the, even the uncomfortable ones, becomes more part of our daily lives. The more we do that, the less often we're going to need a sit down, let me confront you for how you treat me type of thing because we're more regularly talking about how we feel. I guess my guess is that a lot of this pain you feel will subside when you have this conversation with a friend and when you quiet that negative voice inside your head. That's going to take some discipline. When the voice starts, you're going to have to say, shut the fuck up, voice. That's not true. That's the change talking. That's my insecurity about these changes going on. Our friendship was amazing and real, and it's going to be amazing and real. It's just in this process of shifting. That's what this is about. Don't jump from something being different to something being dead. That's quite a jump. And you're not going to live your life like that. You can't live your life like that because more changes are going to happen. Different isn't dead. It's just different. Letter three. Hello, Hayes. I broke up with my North Star bestie and creative partner of four years about two months ago. The last year of our friendship was full of conflict after she went through a significant mental health crisis, during which she felt I was not adequately supportive. I only got the courage to end our friendship after I confessed my doubts to a friend and found out that they had been angry on my behalf for months, but felt I needed to work things through myself. After talking things through with my therapist, I decided to end the friendship. Neither of us have blocked each other anywhere online, although she did unfollow me. In her absence, I expected to feel a gap in my life, but mostly there's welcome space that I feel no urge to fill. I have other besties, if not North Star besties. I feel a mixture of sadness and relief. I also miss her, partially because I can't stop looking at her social media. I've said nothing publicly, I'm mostly a lurker anyway, but she said quite a lot without directly naming me. Most of it feels comically inaccurate, but some stuff has really stuck with me. She feels like I discouraged her from pursuing some of her creative dreams, and I did, both because they were deeply entwined with her mental health issues and because I couldn't handle her extreme need for validation in yet another area. 
I feel like I failed her as a North Star bestie myself, and I wonder if she ever saw me that way. I'm still puzzling over what I should take away from this experience. How do I be a better friend in the future? How do I be a better friend to myself? Also, how do I stop looking at her social media? Yours, learning and lurking. Mm. I love your questions, learning and lurking, and I love the entire act of saying, what did I learn here? So important. Um, because taking away, not to like over-intellectualize everything, but I think that fi finding lessons to learn helps give meaning to painful situations. And what is the point of life if we're not learning? We must find ways to find meaning in the painful things that happen to us, the painful things that we create, that we contribute to. Um, finding silver linings is not toxic positivity. It's a healthy survival skill. And I appreciate these questions that you're asking yourself and in turn asking all of us. So how do you be a better friend in the future? Let's start with that. I don't know the situation exactly. Uh, I don't know the situation exactly and how you were a good friend. Maybe ask yourself that. Maybe figuring out how to be a better friend in the future involves thinking about the ways that you were a good friend here, reminding yourself of those ways. Sometimes when we're riddled in self-doubt, we forget about all of the good we've done. So what good did you do? Where over the course of this friendship did you feel like you were a good friend? Where do you know you were a good friend? How are you a good friend in other areas of your life? What makes you a good friend? If you need some help, ask other people. Ask people who are still in your life. What makes me a good friend? Remind yourself of that so that when you're making this list of um, how do I be a better friend, it's coming from a place of like abundance and confidence rather than a place of lack. Again, I don't know the situation exactly. I don't know what her mental health issues were. I don't know how you supported them. I don't know how you were unable to support them. Um, but here are some things that I thought of, of how to be a better friend. Uh, you can take what you will. So sometimes being a good friend means accepting that we can't fix our friend's problems and we can't stop them from making their own mistakes. Um, sometimes being a good friend means not giving advice when it wasn't asked. It might mean not telling someone not to do something, but saying what you'll have to do if that thing happens. So you told her not to pursue her creative dream. What would it look like instead for you to let her do whatever she's going to do and you make a choice based on her decision? So friend, if you want to start this new business or you want to do X, Y, and Z, do that. And that will mean that I do X. Um, being a good friend sometimes means having our own boundaries and respecting our own boundaries so that you can be there when they need you. Like airplane, you can't put your oxygen mask on. You can't help someone else with the oxygen mask until you put yours on. How are you taking care of yourself so that you can be there for your friend in crisis? Being a better friend <laughs> to others and to yourself might mean no longer blending work and friendship. I don't know if that's a lesson that you feel. I don't know if that's a lesson that resonates with you in the story to take away from this. Um, noodle on that. How do you be a better friend to yourself? Mm. For one, it means to stop looking at her social media, which was your next question, so I'm going to blend them. How do you stop looking at someone's social media? Uh, you stop looking at her social media 
by having discipline with yourself and setting up any uh, barrier, like setting it up from a tech perspective so that you can't if you need to. Block her. You said we haven't blocked each other. Block her. Use the block button. I was just having this conversation with a friend, um, specifically looking at things on social media that are not for you. Seeing things that people are saying about you, um, lurking on ex-partners. I'll share this this piece of this piece of advice that I received for me um, was a breakthrough for me, so I'm going to share it with you in case it is one for you. Um, it is a form of self harm to repeatedly consume something that makes you feel badly about yourself, that makes you question yourself, that whatever the negative effect is, to continue to consume that thing is a form of self-harm. Um, reading things she's saying about you, looking at photos of her, um, continuing to do that is a form of self-harm. I wonder if reframing it that way will help you take that boundary more seriously. Categorizing, looking at things on social media, seeing what other people are saying about you. Like if she's getting on her social media and talking about you, that is not meant for you to see. She should not do that, but you can't control whether she's gonna do that or not. You can control whether you consume it and continuing to consume it is a form of self-harm. <laughs> so stop, okay? Um, being a better friend to yourself also means being gentle with where you may have gone astray. I don't know what mental health crisis she was going through. And um, all people who are going through mental health crises deserve to have support and love and understanding. And it's fucking complicated. Okay. I know it's complicated and I don't know the situation here. Um, but I'll say that you don't need to be a perfect friend in order to be a worthy friend. Sometimes relationships just don't work out. Sometimes friendships, the, the, the season has ain't ended. Sometimes they'll come back. Sometimes they won't. No two relationships are going to be alike. Um, whatever it is she's going through might not be compatible with what you're able to give in this moment. And that doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make her bad. It just is. Just because this relationship did not survive a mental health crisis does not mean that you are incapable of supporting other people through hard times. Especially if you're taking the time to learn about where you may how to be a better friend, what you could have done differently. If you can learn about those things without feeling shame about yourself, you're going to be set up for sex. <laughs> you're going to be set up for success in the future. Um, and for the other person listening, I don't know if they're listening, for the other person, the person who is going through a mental health crisis, uh, it doesn't mean that you are incapable of being loved through hard times just because one friend, one friendship didn't work during it. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you'd like to submit a letter or have an idea for a topic, you can send me a note at hellohazeadvice at gmail.com. Use podcast in the subject line. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Uh, that's how you become a real hazelnut, number one. And number two, I hear that liking and subscribing is one of the helpful ways to grow a channel. So thank you for doing that. Um, and if you listened to this episode audio only, you can still head over to YouTube and have a conversation with us in the comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the episode and anything else you want to talk about. So I'll see you there. And if not, I'll talk to you next Tuesday.